Indeed, we serve a awesome God. What a blessing it's been to be here this morning. I want to take you back a number of years ago when I was in Columbia, Missouri. I remember this Bible study that I had, and I remember the Bible study pr- pretty vividly. And I remember it because of a question that was asked during that study. I still remember it because at that time, I did not have an adequate answer to the question that was given. And I still remember that study because a few months ago, someone had raised the same question to me as well. And I'm referring to a passage that is found in the Gospel of Luke. If you've been doing your Bible reading, there's so many things in the book of Luke, and those chapters are, are pretty long in nature, and yet there's a lot of great things for us to talk about. The question arose from Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open it up, please, to Luke chapter 9. I want you to notice something here, and as you're turning here, I'll just share a couple of things here with you. The Bible study that I had, I can't remember the name, so maybe I don't remember it as vividly, but it was a married couple, and we had at least a couple of Bible studies, and things seemingly were working out pretty well until we kind of got to the subject of salvation. And as we were talking about salvation and what one uh, needs to do to be saved, and we got into the conversation about, about baptism, and we started talking about the scriptures concerning baptism. And it was at this point that the, the young woman mentioned this passage in Luke chapter 9 and verses 49 and 50, where Jesus, or the Bible says in Luke 9, verse 49 and 50, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. The parallel text is found in Mark chapter 9. Look over in Mark chapter 9, and I want you to notice verses 38 through 40. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 40. We find here John speaking again, the apostle John. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name And be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. And so we got into a conversation about those verses there. He who is not against us is for us. And what the woman told me and what she shared with me was that she believed that she had been saved prior to baptism. And that while other individuals may be baptized for the remission of sins that it was not necessary in her case because she was already saved, which also means that it wouldn't be necessary for many others. And so a disagreement arose as we talked about the necessity of baptism. And she would go on to say that she thought that it did not matter whether a person understood whether or not they were saved before or after their baptism. And she was confident, she was really confident, that many will be accepted as his children, as God's children, who have not been baptized for their forgiveness of their sins. And the reason why she had great confidence is because of what Jesus said here in Mark chapter 9 and in Luke chapter, uh, in the passage that we read also in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, that he who is not against us is for us. And so as she was sharing all of this with me, she was saying, listen, we're not against you. We're not, we're not against what you may be saying and things like that. We are ultimately for Christ, and we're striving to follow Jesus as well. And in this passage, this man was not directly following Jesus or the apostles, yet Jesus still accepted him. 
And so her conclusion was it doesn't matter if there are some who may not be practicing or teaching the same thing with respect to faith. As long as we're not against Jesus, we will be accepted. And as I sat there listening to her and her husband and I, the three of us talking, I I, I didn't really know what to say. I I knew what to say in a sense because I knew other passages like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 where, where Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But I'll be honest, I had not heard someone go to Luke chapter 9 or Mark chapter 9 and use these verses. That was not in my notes leading up to that Bible study. I had a little script that I tried to follow, and that was not in the notebook. And so I didn't know really how to respond. Well, if you found yourself in that situation, how would you respond? What is Jesus driving at here in Luke chapter 9 and verses 49 and 50? I don't know if it stood out to you when you were doing your Bible reading, but it certainly made me remember about that conversation. And who is this individual that we're reading about, this mystery disciple, so to speak, that John and others see casting out demons? How how does all of that work? Well, I want to talk a little bit about this this morning. I think there's some important lessons for us to consider. And maybe one of the big lessons for us to consider is what Jesus is talking about and making sure that we don't have a misunderstanding of what he's saying here. And so as we think about Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9 and these verses here. And we'll go back and forth also to the Gospel of Mark. As I thought more about this and as in the, in the years past, thinking more about how sometimes this verse is used, I do think there are a couple of things for us to consider. And I want to begin by first showing or demonstrating what Jesus was not teaching. I think it's very clear that Jesus was not teaching that one can be saved without following him. I think we're all on the same page with that. I think the woman would also agree with that too. We know from passages, and we'll quickly look at these, like John chapter 14 and verse number 6, that Jesus is very clear about who he is and what we have to believe concerning him. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so if we're going to be with the Father, we must be in Christ. We must go through Jesus Christ. And he's very clear when it comes to salvation, that that salvation is going to be through him. In John chapter 4, the interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well, remember as he was began talking to her about what he had to offer her in verse number 10, Jesus in John 4 in verse number 10 answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so helping her to see truly what he had to offer her. And so by no stretch of the imagination is Jesus teaching uh, that one can be saved without following him. That's very clear. But maybe something that is not always as clear and something that we need to make sure we understand is that Jesus was not teaching that any or any individuals can just believe anything or have their own kind of faith. And I think this is where a lot of people fall into when they look at this passage here in uh, Luke and also in the Gospel of Mark. The woman I mentioned earlier believed that it didn't really matter, you know, what a person may believe about baptism or what they're doing with respect in baptism because she felt like Jesus will just accept anyone no matter essentially what they're taught. And yet that's certainly not what what Jesus is teaching or advocating at all. 
He's not teaching that at all. And I think this is something that is often misunderstood about these verses here, that Jesus is not just saying, listen, you guys can believe what you want to believe, or you may have a different understanding about this, but it's okay. Jesus is not teaching we can just have any, any kind of faith. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus really emphasizes making sure that we understand the will of God and doing the will of God. I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, Notice what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is making it very clear that we are to do the will of the Father. And he made that clear in the teaching that we've been going through in the Gospel of Luke. The Bible is also clear that when it comes to faith, that there is one faith. I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. Notice what the Apostle Paul said here. Paul said, there is one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So when it comes to the faith and what we believe and what we obey, and when it comes to baptism and our understanding of baptism and who Jesus is, we got to make sure that we're following and are being obedient to the faith. In Galatians chapter 1, this is what This is what Paul would preach. In Galatians chapter 1, he would preach about the faith. He said, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And so we almost follow the faith, uh, what we find in the word of God, the faith that's been been delivered for us once for all. So Jesus is not teaching that one can just believe anything. And let me just be very clear or try to be as clear as I can. One of the biggest challenges today in Christianity is with with where baptism falls into place. You know, so many people, sincere-minded individuals, believe, listen, baptism is not necessary. Sure, you can be baptized at a later period after you've been saved and after you've reached these conclusions. But when it comes to what the Bible has to say, the Bible is very clear about the the essential uh, the essentialness of baptism. That is something that is necessary for us when it comes to forgiveness of sins. And part of the big challenge today in Christianity is that so many today don't really consider what the Bible has to say. The woman that I was speaking with, she, I believe, had good intentions, and I believe she was being sincere, and yet she had a misunderstanding about baptism, saying that it wasn't essential. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, remember what Peter said. Peter said, on the day of Pentecost, when the people asked them, What shall we do? Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. See, the Bible is very clear that baptism is essential when it comes to salvation, that obedience to God and to the faith is what all men and women must do. 
this idea that, well, you know, you can believe this and we can believe this and we're all really on the same team, so it's really okay. Well, that's not what God desires at all. In fact, when you think about Jesus and what he prayed before he would die in John chapter 17, in John chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21, John chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21, I want you to notice what Jesus said here in John 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus, he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you that sent me. See, that's the desire for God, from God that all be one in him. And yet what we find in our world today, and I think how this passage is often used, is that when it comes to denominationalism, well, we're all really on the same team. And so it's, it's okay that you may believe this, and it's okay if we believe this, and it's okay if these groups over here have maybe a different view and they're teaching something different. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. When he says, he who is not against us is for us, he is certainly not advocating denominationalism. And he's not advocating that, well, if you don't believe in baptism uh, being essential, then that's okay, and you're still going to be right with God. That's not what he's teaching at all. And there is so much misunderstanding about this. And obviously, we need to continue to uh, study the scriptures and help people to see, what does the Bible have to say? When it comes to salvation, we talked about that last week with the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? That was a question that he had. And we saw what he had to do in order to be saved. And what you find in the book of Acts, you find men and women believing in Jesus Christ and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So when you go back to that text in Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, verse 49 and 50, Jesus is not teaching here, well, it's okay just to have different beliefs or that that everybody's really all doing the same thing and maybe we're not doing it exactly the same, it's okay. He's not advocating that at all. So if that's not the case, what is he teaching? This idea of he who is not against us uh, is for us. Well, let's talk about that. When you look at the passage, and it's an interesting passage, I think the big thing he wanted his disciples to see here was that he wanted to know that this man they rebuked was on their side. You look at uh, Luke chapter 9 again in verse number 49. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Now, I will admit it's a very interesting passage, and I think the main point that he's trying to get across, or part of the point, is that, listen, this man who was casting out demons, Jesus said, listen, don't rebuke him. He's on, he's on our side. Now, it's interesting because this story here, there's not a lot of detail. When you look at what's going on, there's not too many details about this man. We have the passage here in Luke chapter 9 and also in Mark chapter 9. And outside of that, we don't really have too much information. But we do know a couple of things. The second thing I want you to think about is that this man... Uh, knows Jesus and is casting out demons by his authority. I think that is very clear to say. You look again at the text in Luke chapter 9 and verse 49, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said, don't hinder him, for he who is not against us is for, he is not against you is for you. So I think we can reach the conclusion safely that this man indeed had power. You agree with that? This man had power. Notice what John said 
we saw him casting out demons in your name or by your authority. And Jesus never gave any clue or indication that this man was not doing those things. It's interesting, and one of the, I think one of the most <laughs> a funny story is found in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, you remember there were some men who were attempting to cast out some demons. Well, they went, it went really badly. Let's just say that in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 13 and 14, Notice in Acts chapter 19, actually go back to verse number 11, because what you find here, you find Paul performing genuine miracles. The Bible says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Paul was performing miracles, there's no doubt about that, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So these men were attempting to cast out demons, and yet they had no power. Yet when you go back to the text in Luke chapter 9, and the text also in Mark chapter 9, the language that John uses is that this man indeed is casting out demons. And the fact that Jesus said, do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you, I believe makes it clear that indeed this man was casting out demons, and at some point in time, he was given this, this power and authority by Jesus. Not only that, but when we think about this story here, and I kind of mentioned that, and I think this is important, the fact that he's doing this by the name or in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus. Uh, certainly this would not be from the devil because that would be the devil fighting against himself. Instead, this is something that he must have received from Jesus. What's interesting in our Bible reading this week in Luke chapter 10, we're going to find in verse number 1 that Jesus is going to send out 70. The Bible says, Now after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And he gives them some, some instructions. And he said in verse 8, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. And so Jesus is going to be sending out more who also will have power to perform miracles as well. And so, again, we're not given too many details about this mystery disciple, if you want to describe him that way. But indeed, I believe the text is helping us to see that this man had power to cast out demons. And so John is asking Jesus, we saw this man doing this, and, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. And that leads me to my fourth thought that I want us to consider, and that is while this man was not direct, directly following along with the apostles, Jesus makes it very clear he is still, he's still on your side. He's still on our side. Now, again, he's not saying that people can just have different beliefs, and if one wants to reject baptism or something like that, that that's okay. He's not teaching that at all. What he is trying to get his apostles to see is don't hinder him. 
Don't hold him back because clearly he's doing something that is right. Go back to the text in Mark chapter 9 and listen to the words of Jesus there in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9 and verse number 38, I want you to listen to what he said here again. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 38, notice what Jesus said here. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, excuse me, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is for us. And so while he may not have been in a direct company with the apostles and, and following, Jesus said he is still on our side. And therefore, the apostles were not to hinder this man. Those are the details that are given to us in this interesting and, and maybe even a little peculiar passage in Luke chapter 9 and in Mark chapter 9. And understanding what Jesus is not teaching becomes really important because Jesus is not teaching, listen, you can just believe whatever you want to believe and that everything we do, as long as we're not you know, directly opposed to Jesus, everyone, is, everyone and everything we may believe and do is okay. That's not part of this at all. He's helping them to see that, indeed, this man seemingly was casting out demons, therefore do not hinder him. But I also wonder if there was something bigger that Jesus was trying to get across. It is interesting when you look at Luke chapter 9, again, those verses there, John seems upset. Is that how you guys look at that? When he's saying, listen, we saw this guy doing this, and we're trying to stop him. Jesus said, what are you doing? Don't, don't stop him. Don't hinder him. It appears that John may have been a little bit upset. At least the apostles don't seem to be happy about this. What's interesting is that earlier in Luke's gospel, in verse number 46, maybe this gives us a little bit more information of all of this that's taking place here. There was an argument with the apostles. You guys remember what they were arguing about? An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Now, here's the interesting thing, working with Jesus. <laughs> he knows your heart. And while they may not have been saying these things, notice in the next verse, but Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood, beside, stood, uh, took a child and stood him by his side and said to him, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you this is the one who is great. And so I wonder if Jesus is maybe trying to get something bigger across to his apostles about their mindset, about their attitude, about maybe the disposition that they had. What else is interesting, when you go back to Mark chapter 9, and when you go back to verse number 16, this example here is found in verse number 38 through 40. But when you go back to Mark chapter 9 and verse number 16, the Bible says, and he asked them, this is Jesus with his uh, disciples, he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so just adding all of these other pieces of information, I wonder if Jesus is trying to get across this, that there's no room for pride. 
and there's no room for jealousy. If the apostles saw this man casting out demons, and that's what John said, we saw him casting out demons in your name, and earlier they had struggled or failed in one sense at one particular time to cast out demons, it could have been that there indeed was some type of pride or jealousy in their hearts. We know what they were thinking and what they had been arguing about, about who was going to be the greatest. And so maybe Jesus is using this example here and this whole situation about what this man is doing and what he's trying to get across here to help them to see, listen, there's no room for pride. There's no room for jealousy. This man is doing the will of God here. He's casting out demons in my name. And there's no room for jealousy or pride. And I think that would be, I think that's a great point of application when you think about this story and what he's going to be getting across to his apostles. That when it comes to following Jesus, there can't be any pride. There can't be any jealousy. Pride and jealousy are works of the flesh. You look over in Galatians chapter 5. Remember in Galatians chapter 5 what Paul said here? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse, verses 19 through 21, listen to what Paul said here. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. These are things that they would have to shy away from. And if there's, this was jealousy or pride creeping in, Jesus is going to make it very clear to them there's not going to be any room for this in the kingdom of God. And it's interesting how they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And yet in the process of time, the apostles, they would, they would learn the message of Jesus. They would learn what he was teaching them. You think about on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter and the 11, they're not arguing about who's going to speak first or who gets to speak the longest or anything like that. They're working together. And so this idea of pride and jealousy, if he's trying to help them to see this, thankfully, in the process of time, they would learn that message. And Jesus is going to help them to see that they need to have the heart of a servant. Again, going back to Luke chapter 9, as we wrap this up here in Luke chapter 9, after this whole conversation here, he said, whoever receives this child in my name, in verse number 48, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me for the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. And so certainly Jesus is trying to help his apostles, his disciples to see it's not about greatness. It's about humility. And it's about whether or not you're going to be a servant. It's about whether or not you're going to have this proper mindset and truly be submissive. And the apostles certainly needed help with that. And just as they needed to be reminded of that, brothers and sisters, that is the mindset that we must have as God's people. That we need to have this heart where we're not filled with pride or jealousy. And this is not going to get in the way of us doing what it is that God wants us to do. And so this passage here, he who is not for us, or he who is not against us is for us. It's very clear that Jesus is not emphasizing or endorsing denominationalism, saying it's okay to have different kinds of faith. He's not teaching that at all. But rather, he's showing, showing these men, showing these apostles, that man indeed was performing a miracle. And be careful with the mindset, with the attitude, with the disposition that you have as well. I think a point of application for us, maybe there's a couple of points for us to think about. Number one is making sure that we handle the scriptures the right way. At times, we can have a misunderstanding of scripture. I'll be the first to raise my hand. And when we have that misunderstanding, being willing to go back and investigate again what the Bible has to say. As I studied with that woman, the Bible study eventually ended. 
because she, she decided, listen, uh, you know, baptism is not necessary when it comes to salvation. And part of our responsibility is helping others to understand the will of God and to help and maybe even correct uh, when something is amiss when it comes to salvation. But it's not just with baptism. It's really with anything pertaining to the word of God, that our goal is to, to handle the word of God carefully and that we simply want to strive to do what it is that God teaches in his word. And another big point of application for us is that there can't be any hint of pride or jealousy in our hearts, that we're all on the same team, that we're all working for our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, that means that we must have a mind of a servant just as Jesus had. It's an interesting passage, and there's some great lessons for us to hold on to. If you have any questions about this, please let me know. As we continue along in our Bible reading, there will be some other passages we'll see, indeed, that I think will challenge our thinking and maybe even raise some other questions. Maybe there's someone here this morning who has had this view that, you know, I, I, I wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but I believe, you know, God is, I'm okay with God. I would just encourage you to go back and, and look at the scriptures again. I would encourage you to investigate what the Bible has to say regarding baptism and how one is saved. And for all of us, let's strive to continue to work together, continue to do God's will, and continue to submit to him. If there's someone who is subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing.